0: The following program was pre-recorded and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management.
1: Turn all the lights on and kill the noise. The Biz 1440 presents the best two hours of economic news and commentary. It's the King Banyan Show. How about a fresco? Your source for penetrating economic insight, razor sharp analysis, and unflinching universal thought. Everything you need to maintain clarity and stay ahead of the economic curve. Now, here's Professor King Banyan.
0: These are strange dogs. Strange oh, here.
2: We finally made it to campus. <laughs> Welcome back, King Banyan Show, The Biz 1440. Thank you for listening today. We're, we're recording uh, this week's show um, because I have to be away from a microphone at the time the show is on, which is too bad. But uh, and, and what's really bad about it is I'm actually recording this um, before the Jackson Hole meetings. Now, Jackson Hole... Is of course uh, the meetings that are conducted by the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City. Jackson Hole is of course up in uh, up in the Yellowstone area of of uh, Wyoming. It is it is basically the Fed summer uh, uh, confab where they bring people from all around the country, or actually around the world, to convene and to meet in a very Bucolic, relaxed, mountain mountain drenched setting. It is a beautiful place. Um, I have never been in Jackson Hole myself, but friends of mine have been there and have shown me lots of pictures, including of the lodge. And actually, I have. I think the new, I think the station here, the Biz fourteen forty, and my friends at Salem Twin Cities have not granted these requests because if they ever gave me these two requests, I might say, you know what. My, my radio career now is complete. I don't need to do anything else. Let's, let's close the show. We're done. One of them is I still want to go to a Berkshire Hathaway stockholder meeting in Omaha because I want to go see the, the Oracle of Omaha. I want to see Warren Buffett live, uh, which opportunities to do so are dwindling, and so I really would like to do that. But the other one is I would like to have a, a press pass to go to Jackson Hole. Don't have to give me any money. I'll fly myself there. Don't worry, but um to walk around those two places with a press pass would be just awesome. I would have such a good time at them. So, I am interested. I am extremely interested in the opportunity to uh go to um uh, go to go to Jackson to go to Jackson Hole and be part of this. Now, I have been, so why am I focused on it this time? Well, I you know, first of all, if you listen to the show, go to TwinCitiesBusinessRadio.com. Become a VIP, okay? If you become a VIP, you can not only listen to this show while it plays on the air here on the Biz 1440, but you can go hear the archives. I mean, because everybody knows you just can't get quite enough of me. You can go back and listen to archives of shows that go back years Here, there by being... A member, a VIP club member here at TwinCitiesBusinessRadio.com. It's, it's good for you. They don't send you much email. Trust me on this. They don't send you that much email. Um, I want to say, say one or two times a week, maybe. Anyway, anyway. Um, this time around, everyone has this expectation. The expectation is this. The Fed has been growing the balance sheet at this rate of 120 billion dollars a month. Two thirds of that in Treasury securities, one third of it in mortgage-backed securities issued by Fannie and Freddie, and so forth. The high or other high-quality mortgage-backed securities, and everyone's and everyone's been talking about tapering. Now, when I was on the show, when I last did a live show two weeks ago, and I was going to play a little bit of a little bit more of those clips but i'm not going to i thought thought i wanted to do what i did in the last hour instead and i thought i'd run out of time to do it this hour if i did that in this hour um you've had poke you've had folks from mary daly to uh from the san francisco fed to of course jim bullard from the st louis fed You've had Chris Waller, who's on the Board of Governors. You've had Fed President and Chair, one after the other, after the other, after the other. And what have they all said? They've all said, we think tapering needs to stop sometime soon. Now, you have not said how soon. That's a moment of debate, but there's so on. So there were a lot of people who were thinking what they were going to do, in fact, was to... uh, Sort of announce their plans while they're at Jackson Hole because Chair Powell will, when you hear this, probably has already spoken to the to uh, the assembled. And I will say as well, they're actually not assembled in person. They made the decision early this past week that they would opt, they would do Jackson Hole the Jackson Hole conference virtually. So, Chair Powell and all the other participants are in fact going to be are going to be staying home, not coming out to Wyoming, and they're going to run this online, which is great for me because I'm not going to be able to see any of it. I'm not going to be okay, but it'll be recorded, and I'll be able to watch the speeches later. That will be that will be fun. They're all, in fact, I believe they're only doing the the event on Friday. I don't think it's going to run into Saturday and Sunday like it does when they do it there. Um, so again, by the time you hear this president Powell, uh, Chairman Powell will probably have spoken, but there are a lot of people who think the, the chair's speech is going to be consequential. Now, you have the benefit of hindsight. I do not because i 'm recording this for you on a Thursday afternoon before the before the opening of the conference so i 'm about to say something that will could sound really silly by the time you hear it. I don't think the chair has said or is going to say anything that's very important over the next few in the speech he gives on Friday. I don't think he's going to do that. And I think there's plenty of reason why. First of all, speeches came out from the Fed in the speeches came out from the Fed in in uh, uh, not speeches but minutes came out from the last f o m c meeting um uh the the that f o m c meeting uh happened of course at the end of at the end of uh july and as i've looked at them as i've looked at those minutes um what i what i've decided that's true is about the, the about those is is that those minutes reflect that uh that they're in fact just nothing all that important there. So one, the phrase that they used in the minutes was: most participants judged it could be appropriate to start reducing the pace of asset purchases this year because they saw substantial further progress, satisfied with respect to price stability and close to satisfied with respect to maximum employment. That was in the minutes of the speech that they would have that would, would have, of the minutes of the meeting that happened on the on the 27th and 28th of July now if that's happened if we assume that has happened then what we what we would would go forward to say then is why would he say anything more he's given that that's the minutes of what happened in July every fed president and governor since then has been talking about We need to taper some time in 2021. A couple of them, including uh, uh, President Kashkari, have said, or maybe early in 22. There is a lot of chatter among people right now that perhaps what the president, what the chair will say is, we... We're watching what's happening with the Delta variant and we kind of think we need to maybe pump the brakes on the idea of tapering. All right. This is the part where I'll get in trouble. I will be surprised if he says that tomorrow, but again, by the time you're listening to this, you will know what he said. I don't know what he said. But I think I think what he's going to say is 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 not very much at all which is why I'm not really heartbroken about the fact that I'm having to record this at a time where something newsworthy is going to happen that I'm not going to be able to comment on because I'm not going to be able to get to a microphone between the time he speaks and the time the show airs. So, that, as a result of that, I just think that's... I, as a result of that, I'm, I'm just not convinced of that. Um, I think he will talk about Delta. I think that makes sense. Um... He said, they've always said, and I think they will, will continue to say, we're watching these numbers, and, and I think you'll hear, the, I think you will have heard Chair Powell say, we're watching Delta carefully, we will adjust to the effects as they happen on the ground. And you will probably hear him talk a lot about Delta. But it's pretty clear that the Fed has already announced that that." We plan to taper either, you know, it could be September, it could be October, it could be December. But sometime late third quarter, but or, and I think more likely, fourth quarter, the tapering will happen. Um, it really will depend how much he talks about Delta. As I said during the last hour, but wanted to make sure I said again here. I don't think there is so much to say about Delta at this moment, and the reason for that, I, I mean, I don't think there's as much to say about Delta because I think I think that I think that that's, uh, that that's going to be the ish, uh, because if he says too much about Delta, he will be contradicting a lot of the signal that, that has been out from the presidents in the governor. I don't think he'll do that. So he'll talk about Delta. He's got to talk about it. I don't think he's going to talk too much about Delta, and I think we're going to have to wait till the Fed meeting next month before we really know which way the Fed is going in terms of when the taper is going to begin. We'll be more. We'll be back with more right after this. You are listening to the King Banyan Show on the Biz fourteen forty. Welcome back King Banyan show, the biz 1440. Thank you for listening today. Um, like I, like I was saying in the previous segment, this is a dangerous thing for me to do. I'm pretty confident. I know what's going to happen at Jackson hole, which for me is tomorrow, but for you is yesterday because we are, we are pre-recording the show. Please. That's why I haven't given you the number for the station because we're not here. Uh, at least I'm not here. I don't know. I don't know if Sean might be, uh, Sitting there watching watching the uh, watching the uh, digital file run through the system, but um, but anyway, I'm hopeful that uh, you you're having a good Saturday. Uh, I'm stuck in a conference room somewhere. I'm not actually out on vacation, uh, but uh, you but uh, I'll be thinking of you certainly during this time. I think that the you know I believe that the meeting is going to be will have been for you, been kind of boring for most people, not for me. I don't think that... The, I thought, in fact, that this clip... This is Kelsey Barrow. Uh, Barrow, she is a strategist for J.P. Morgan. And I thought her clip, uh, I, which is cut three when I asked for it, uh, Sean. Um, her clip, this is a little long, but I really think she's kind of focused on the right point, which is... The Fed's already told you what they're going to do, and I suspect there's very little work that the chair needs to do at Jackson Hole, and I think this clip is is in line with my thinking. Play cut number three, please.
1: Very closely to everything Chair Powell has to say virtually tomorrow. But the July FOMC minutes really kind of stole the thunder as it relates to learning more about the asset purchase tapering, which we expect to begin by January of next year. Uh, so when I think about the taper, there's a lot of consensus that seems to be forming and has already formed around. Starting by the end of the year, cutting uh, proportionally both treasuries and agency mortgage backed securities. So in my mind, I'm actually already looking forward to the September FOMC meeting. I think could that, that could be even more informative. Because in that meeting we're going to get the 2024 dots. And when people ask me why are yields so low right now at uh, 130 on the 10-year yield, I say the market is very skeptical that not that the Fed can taper, they can taper, but can the Fed actually raise rates? Can they raise rates more than a few times? And can they get to a terminal rate that's above two percent? And that 2024 dot is going to give us more information to try to understand that.
2: And I think that's a, so. She says a few things here. It's a very powerful minute of of, 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 of commentary there. Uh, and this is not somebody I, did, I don't recall ever seeing this person before. And of course, as I've joked a few times, August is the month when you hear from people that you've never heard from before, because the normal people people that someone like J.P. Morgan would send out to to do commentary. On Bloomberg are they're on vacation and so um, Ms. Barrow comes on but that's a I mean I just think that was a very well done minute by her um, a few points first of all one of the things that I think you'll hear from from Chair Powell is to remind market participants tapering is not tightening and that's a phrase that Joseph from, uh from RSM uh, advisors uh, has used and I really like that phrase tapering is not tightening tapering is slowing the rate at which you're expanding the the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve meaning you're still easing policy you're just easing policy at a you're still easing uh, uh, monetary policy but you're easing at a slower rate than you had before that's all they're doing right now, and they and so that is what I believe they're going to do. And that and, and as as Ms. Barrow says, we know they can do it because they did it a few years ago. There was tapering that began with Janet Yellen and then continued when 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 Jay Powell took over the chair of the Fed from from Ms. Yellen, and that. And they did that. Then they had to reverse a little bit. And they had to reverse. And they had to reverse in a huge way in March of 2020. Because they never got off the zero bound. What they did was they went went all the way back. So the other point to make here, which I think she makes very, very powerfully in talking about the dot plot for 2024, is the Fed... Needs to show that it thinks it can raise rates back to something that is sort of above two percent. Why do I say above two percent? Because if you're intending to keep inflation expectations in the long run, in the very long run, anchored at two percent, you you know, in a normally functioning economy the real interest rate, which is just the nominal rate of interest minus the expected rate of inflation, that number should be greater than zero. So the rate at which the, rate at which the uh, banks exchange money on in a very short term should be something in the area of two-point-something, should get to something like th- closer to 3% rather than zero. We haven't seen three percent interest rates as a policy rate at the Fed since 2007. It's been 14 years since we've had that, and so you, there's a whole generation. I mean, I've got people, I've got former students who now have risen to to be uh, folks who have the, have vice president titles in financial firms around the country who've never seen a three percent Fed funds rate. So you can't blame them for being a little skeptical of of the central bank saying, "Oh yeah, yeah, we'll get to we'll get to, we'll get to that three percent number pretty soon." Don't you worry about that? No, I I don't believe it at all. I don't know why anyone would. So, I think that you'll see. I think that you'll see that in the next few in it in, in the in at the at the meeting, he's not going to talk about interest rates. We're way too far away from talking about that but there will be an attempt if he talks about taper it's simply going to be about why you should not be concerned about taper they should they should instead be talking about they should they will talk about taper as being it's still easing we're just easing less fat less fast than we had before indeed um I think we have time for this clip. Uh, let's play, uh, this is Charles Plosser, former Philadelphia Federal Reserve Chair, and he has this to say about about what we should be expecting, um, uh, um, what we should be expecting from uh, the Federal Reserve at Jackson Hole. Play cut number two, please, Sean.
0: I think that's fair. I, I think that uh, a lot about the tapering and discussions going on within the FOMC were made clear in the minutes. From the last meeting, I don't believe uh, there's any reason for the chairman to get out in front of the committee at this point. There's obviously a growing faction within the FOMC to move tapering up to make sure it starts this year. Uh, that Those voices are stronger now, and uh, I don't think the chairman's going to want to get out in front too much at this point. So I don't see, uh, I think the risk of, of the big, big market news is,
2: is pretty minimal. That's the most important thing to take away from him. Is that is that I don't think the Fed wants to make news at Jackson Hole. Last year they did. That's when they came out with average inflation targeting. The average inflation targeting was big news. They will not make news this time. There's no reason for them to make news at this time. Um, and if they, so my point is, if you listen to this, it goes and you say. King, you were 100% wrong, and I'm sure you'll, you'll tweet at me at KBRS if you do. I will be in my meeting, but I'll keep my eyes open. And you will tweet at me at KBRS to say, King, you were 100% wrong about what, what Jay Powell was going to say. And I'll say, well, I'll tell you what, if I'm 100% wrong, I think Jay Powell made a mistake. Because what I think he'll do is, what I, is, is the right thing. I don't think he's going to make a mistake. And so, if he doesn't do what I've just described, I think I think what we he will have done will in fact have been the wrong the wrong thing. So, what will come out of the meeting? Well, I think what mostly is going to come out of the meeting is going to be a bunch of academic papers. They're going to talk about. There'll probably be a paper to talk about tapering, um, uh, it, it, you know, and and talk about tapering the risk of financial stability. They will have papers to talk about climate change and the impact of, of monetary policy on climate change and climate change on monetary policy. They won't. They, um, uh, they won't be able to resist talking about that. So it's going to lay out some some information that might be pertinent to the idea of the taper in the papers that come out afterwards. But it's all kind of background stuff. This has usually been and was for years and years. This was a. This was a egghead academic conference. This was not a place where people made made big speeches uh, to talk about that. But Alan Greenspan used it a couple times, and particularly Ben Bernanke was big about using Jackson Hole to do a set piece speech that was very descriptive of what he had in mind. And, and that's when everyone started to jam to Jackson Hole because they said, oh, it's Bern- uh, Bernanke's going to be there. Well, he's going to do something big, and I need to be there for that. That is not, I think, what's going to happen this time. I think what will happen this time is, is going to be kind of, kind of, kind of boring, um, and, um, uh, and and so they'll talk about that, yeah, and they'll probably talk about inequality too. I don't know. We'll see. But at any rate, that's what I see happening at Jackson Hole. You'll have the advantage of hindsight that I won't have. Uh, but I'll tell you, if he did something other than what we said here on the King Bang show on the business for business on the biz 1440, he made a mistake. You will make a mistake, come right back.
0: Candy yeah, and chicken stew. Now you take that paper dollar. It's only that name. It's only a
2: Welcome back, to the King Bangin Show on the Biz 1440. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you, Sean, for the uh, the thematic music here for uh, the King Banyan Show. Um, he's testing the depths of money and finance rock uh, here in some significant ways. Um, okay, just got to get this off my chest. Just takes me a second, but that, but uh, I was. Res- so when we move students on campus, the, I mean, you bring and we moved I huh? thought I saw the number being about 900 students into the dorms that came on one day. And and we should move several hundred more than that, but uh we allowed students to, to sort of do early check-in, try to keep some of the traffic down and keep some of the crowding down because we're we're still concerned about the COVID here on campus. But typically, when they do that, I have a, I have my car. My parking lot is between three dorms. It's in a parking lot that's between three dorms, and on the fourth side is the uh, is the commons, the uh, the the dining hall for our student, the the major dining hall for our students here. Uh, so it's in a student centered area, uh, and there are people trying to move cars around all the time. So typically speaking, I know on the day that everyone's doing move in. My car is not going to, my car is not going to get parked in the parking lot that I normally use. I have to go someplace else. In fact, normally, I just leave my car home and bicycle to campus. I only live by car at seven minutes by bike. It takes me about, it takes me about 20 minutes to get here. Um... But there's a lovely uh, there's a lovely bike path along the Mississippi River so I bike down to the river pick up the path and then I just I can just bike along the uh, and come right up the back here and actually I can bike right by my window here, which is three floors up but the bike path runs right right below my window um, so anyway, I get the note from camp from the campus parking people that we can't use the lot it starts with these four words: wait for it. Mandatory parking relocation request. Mandatory parking relocation request. And I will tell you... I don't like... It's not that they sent me the notice. It's not even the mandatory part. I don't mind it. Okay? I get that you need to do that. But if it's mandatory... If it's mandatory, it's not a request. And if it's a request... Then I have a choice. Let's not pretend I have a choice. So this is an example of Minnesota nice, right? Well, you need to do this. We're just asking. Stop it. Stop it. You just just say, we need you, we need you not to park in your parking lot tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I get it. Sure. Besides which, I mean, with all the stuff flying around here, you think I want my car exposed to the, all the dings it might experience? of uh, people pushing their stuff around? No, heck no. I don't want any of that. So anyway, uh that's the sort of thing that just kind of kind of uh ticks me off. Anyway, um I thought I I thought I would lead I talk about this. I I if you follow the show, and again, if you follow the show, let me just tell you. What's the easiest way to follow the show? We use Twitter. Um I I I yearn for the days when Twitter was still 140 characters and did not have so many verbose people that had a particular uh, political point of view. I know people think, ah, uh, Twitter's progressive. I'm like, no, there's, there's all different kinds of Twitter. I participate in financial and economics Twitter. And that's perfect. that area is perfectly fine. I don't worry about that at all. But if you follow us, use the hashtag pound KBRS, King Banyan Radio Show. That is the easiest way to find us, King Banyan Radio Show. Uh, and you, if you do that, you will actually find two different, two different uh, uh, things that uh, you'll find lots. Two different things on there. You'll find some conversations during the show, but between shows, you will see lots of the things that I'm talking about or think I want to talk about. So this is one such thing. I tweeted uh, this story out earlier this week, and it was just this very short post from a, what, who I think was a, uh, uh, either a commenter or an email received by Tyler Cohen at uh, Marginal Revolution blog, which is like one of those blogs, if you listen to this show and you're not reading Marginal Revolution, um, you're, not, you're, you're, you're not doing it right. You should actually be listening to the show. You should actually be reading him. So think about this. So, so, so this is just a comment from a fellow named Brian Willman, uh, uh, who wrote to Tyler, I assuming wrote to Tyler or put this up as a comment. Uh, but I, he writes various web sources, but none of this seems controversial. One, U.S. GDP is now higher. In fact, a fair bit higher than when the pandemic began. This week, we've learned that uh, GDP in the second quarter rose a little bit more than we had previously thought, led by a little more uh, business-fixed investment than we had previously announced. So that fact is, in fact, true. GDP is higher than it was before. At the same time, point two, U.S. labor force participation is about 1.5% lower than when the pandemic began. True, in fact, I was uh, speaking earlier this week with somebody from uh one of our twin Cities newspapers and those and and in those newspapers uh the newspaper reported that uh, the newspaper was asking me about what's going on with labor force participation, particularly in greater minnesota and I, I I was talking about that and 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 there are lots of reasons for it, and we could talk about those. Um, I'll just to rehash, in case you're fairly new and haven't heard me say this, everyone seems to have a pet explanation. All of them are partly true, and all of them are partly not true. None of them are a satisfactory explanation for why labor force participation is slow. But we've heard it's unemployment insurance. Yeah, it is some of it. It's not all of it. It's... um. No, you know what it is. It's the lack of, of child care opportunities, um, or it's the schools, or, you know, there's it's the schools, it's people afraid of COVID. My answer to them, when I hear this conversation, my answer is always, the correct answer is E, all of the above. The correct answer is all of the above. They all matter to some extent. How much do they matter? We don't know yet, we're still trying to figure that part out um, we're still we're still working on how to explain and and determine what share of these men. so this is like my story if you went and listened to the previous hour of the show where we pretended to be in the classroom, how my additional people got got vaccined because we were offering these hundred dollar bonuses to people who got vaccinated. Well, the problem is you don't know the counterfactual. How many people would have gone to get vaccinated if we didn't offer the $100 bonus? Well, we don't get to run experiments like this. So we don't really know how many. We know that there was 2,700 a month before. Now there's 2,700 a, month, 2,700 a day during, during July. Now we're running at a rate of about 5,000 a day during August. But we also know that some places are now saying you got to get vaccinated to continue to work with us. There's some there, and there's the news of Delta variant that people are probably saying, "Ah, oh God, I guess I better go get that vaccine." Because I'm telling you, there are all kinds of reasons for people to get it. Not everyone that's been uh, that's unvaccinated is necessarily someone that is that is uh, you know crazed on 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 uh, Trump. But I would say, um. Uh, but what I would say is, is I think the people are people that are not entering the labor force are not in the labor force. There are lots of different explanations, and even when the unemployment insurance bonus ends on September 6th, it's not clear to me that you're going to see this huge wave increase of labor force participation. Maybe we'll find out. Get, that's the beauty of economics. At some point, at some point, when someone's got an explanation like that, you go. You know, at some point, we're going to have enough data. We'll actually have the answer to that. So here's the question that this Brian Willman asks. If GDP is higher and labor force participation is lower, was there a lot of slack workers back in, back in January of 2020? Um, did total factor pr- productivity really increase so dramatically during the pandemic? Has inflation changed enough to make GDP numbers misleading, or is this all? A, or this is this is Mr. Wilman, or is this all a sign that the structure of the economy is more stratified that we think? That there are millions of people in more or less filler jobs who can be cast out, and the economy just keeps running along. There's all sorts of reports of labor shortages, all manner of supply chain hiccups, which seem to be often associated with offshoring, but general activity is still high. I have an answer to that. I have an answer to that. Here's my simple answer. My simple answer is while GDP is higher than it was back in back before the pandemic began, the counterfactual we need is where would GDP now in the absence of the pandemic be without the pandemic? There's still production that we missed out on in in 2020 that we can't get back in 2021 i can't sell 2020's hotel room in 2021 i can't serve 2020's uh, uh steak tartare at the lo- at at my nearest uh, bistro in 2021 i can sell steak tartare but i can't serve the one i could have served last year because i still have only so many steaks i have still so many seats in my restaurant and so forth there's a lot of services that we didn't produce in 2020 that we can produce in 2021. I think this is a mistake about thinking about the difference between a flow and a stock, and I don't actually think this particular number is right. Uh, I'll explain more right after this. You are listening to The King Banging Show on The Biz 1440. Welcome back. King Banyan Show, The biggest
1: 1440.
2: So I said something a little provocative last segment. Let me me get right back to that to make sure you uh, understand what I mean. The the biggest problem in in any social science, but I think particularly true in economics, uh, is that we have a hard time explaining the counterfactual. So, if you want to know if we've bounced back, I want to tell people: Well, yeah, we're we're employing the same number of people as we did before, or, or employing excuse me, one and a half percent fewer people than we did before. We are, in fact, you know, back to a GDP level that we had back had that we had in March of twenty twenty, or a little bit higher. There's still a lot of catch up. And the mix of products that we're producing is very, very different than I think what would have happened in the absence of COVID. So what do I mean by that? We had a significant period of time in which we were told you could get goods if you wanted them. You might have used Amazon or Instacart or DoorDash or Uber Eats or something to get your stuff, but you could get goods and even some services like Instacart or Uber Eats. You could still get services to some extent, but there were lots of things you weren't able to consume. You couldn't consume, you couldn't consume um, haircuts. Uh, you couldn't consume, consume your gym. You couldn't consume a concert. You couldn't, you know, think of all the things you weren't able to consume during that time. The, the mix of goods and services we're buying now has been, in fact, shocked. Um, and by shocked, I mean I mean perturbed. It's been disturbed by the there's a disturbance called covid which changed the 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 structure of goods and services we were we're consuming it's why i think in the austrian school of economics which does not like using the measurement gdp to represent the nature of the economy or the output of the economy i think has a point to make the point being to compare the the, the structure of what's inside gdp in in August of 2021, is very different than what's there in February of 2020, and is very different than what would have happened in August of 2021 had there been no COVID. So I think there's simply an, a a major difference, a major difference in in what in in the nature of that productivity. Now in the process of that people have had to change what they do and how they do things and what they produce and how they produce things and that is also going to cause changes in productivity okay those changes in productivity are very difficult for us to to capture using some aggregated number so if you're going to try to measure if you're going to try to measure um gdp and you're gonna try to measure productivity i think you have to dig down to something below the aggregated level i think you have to look at what's the productivity and i wouldn't even say manufacturing productivity i would get down to the level of what's happening in the productivity of the automobile sector what is happening to the productivity of the construction sector what is happening to the to the productivity of the uh, meat packing sector? Where just I mean, just think about that for a second. Where where typically uh, meat packing plants have a lot of employees who are really close together to each other. They've now learned how to produce more uh, produce meat, and I would argue they probably produce about as much meat as we got before. Because I didn't. I mean, yes, there's been increases in the price of beef, but those are largely not the result of an absence of labor, but from the increased cost of feed, and the increase of cost of feed is in part because of supply chain issues. So I don't think that there's been this major change really in there's not this major change in in uh, the output of the beef sector, uh, say beef or chicken. But you simply cannot put as many people in a meatpacking plant now as you did before because you're you're having to, you're struggling to keep them protected. You're struggling to keep them protected from uh, COVID, and in that struggle to keep them protected from COVID, you have absent you have in some way increased their productivity. But you're doing it in a way where it, you probably didn't really mean it. And remember, productivity—the numbers that you, that people are using for productivity—are numbers being created. Are numbers being created by taking output divided by labor while ignoring capital? But of course, we've seen a lot of investment in new capital. A lot of that capital investment is not to make me more productive, but to make, but to defend and protect the labor that I currently employ. I believe that, that that, and to some extent to replace some of that labor, because I simply can't have them all in the room at the same time. So I believe, I believe that any attempt to measure productivity at this time is just fraught with real difficulty. I am not relying on those measurements to tell me what's happening in the course of the economy right now. I instead am still, still inclined to, to believe that, uh, that, that, there is, that there are things out there. Is there vapor GDP? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of that. I think there's a little investment. I mean, GDP goes up when we buy lots of guns to fight a war. Is that good GDP or bad GDP? Is that vapor GDP? I don't know. But, uh, I mean, guns to fight a war mean GDP is higher. And certainly to fight a war that, that threatens your own existence is certainly valuable. But you would not never say that we've had an increase in standard of living. You certainly wouldn't say we've had an increase in the productivity of, you know. You, my standard of living is not improved by being able to better arm uh, a military, okay, you know, not... Not in, that, not in that particular sense I may mean, be saying that quite right but, but I think you'll take my point productivity is very hard to measure and I just thought that was a very interesting post to look at because that's the, kind of, that's the kind of question that has to be answered before we think to ourselves is the economy really doing well is it time to really withdraw all of this stimulus or have we reached a point where in fact we don't need as much Well, we'll find out over the next few months, and we'll be finding out with you. Hey, Sean, thank you so much for your work today, and uh, thank you all for listening. And we hope to talk to you soon next week on a Job Saturday here on the King Banyan Show on the Biz fourteen forty.